Hebrews Bible Study, number 22, The Author's Instructive Rhetoric. For lay leaders and deacons to conduct after the Sunday service or during a midweek Bible study session. Hear the word of our Lord from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 32 through 39. But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, Do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. As many of our Sunday school sessions include passages that start with, But, today is no different. Hebrews 10 verses 32 through 39 starts with, But, so as to reply to the warning passage immediately preceding, for the sake of encouraging his readers. Lest we miss the forest for the trees, the author is ultimately doing what he has done over the course of the entire book. Exhort, warn, and then encourage in anticipation of the reader's response. Similar to how law, gospel, and response are preached together, chapter 6 being a great example of such, the exhortations in Hebrews take a general pattern of directive, then warning, then encouragement. Here is a brief example from the first four verses of chapter 2. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Hebrews 2 verse 1 starts with a directive. We must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. Then the author follows it with a warning in the third verse. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Finally, having warned them, he builds the congregation up with the rest of the third verse and all of the fourth, reassuring the believers that the message delivered to them is reliable and therefore worthy of the careful attention they have been directed to. In a word, directive, warning, encouragement. 
We must do this if we do not, there will be consequences. But God assures us that all will turn out well. Our passage for today, Hebrews 10 verses 32 through 39, focuses on the encouragement phase. Verses 32 through 34 say, But recall the former days when after you were enlightened you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. We do well to pay attention to the conjunctions employed to understand the author's meaning. Starting with a contrasting conjunction, but, however, and so forth, from the Greek word de, the tone is shifted away from the warning of Hebrews 10.31, which states, It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. The congregation has received the directive and the warning. Now is time to introduce encouragement. The encouragement provided by the author is not one which we would expect, given the other exhortations which point to God's work. Hebrews 2, verses 1 through 4, pointed to the reliability of the gospel message. Hebrews 3, verse 7 to chapter 4, verse 14, pointed to the rest that is offered in Christ Jesus. And the tail end of the miniature sermon, preached in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 13 through 20, encouraged the hearers with the promises of God. But now, in the fourth exhortation, the author points to the congregation's experiences rather than something God has promised, said, or done. Having already firmly rooted the epistle in the faithfulness and power of our Lord, the author sees fit to encourage the congregation with the strength they had in previous times. The Hebrew congregation has already experienced hardship in the past. When they first became believers, they endured a hard struggle with sufferings. This included public insult, injury, being witnessed to other members being insulted or injured, and being financially deprived by having to pay for imprisoned members' needs. On that last point, it is likely that the authorities determined either someone would provide for the prisoner or the prisoner would starve. In other words, during their initial persecution, the Hebrew congregation stepped up, even rejoicing at the persecution on account of a better possession and an abiding one. The congregation to whom the author writes has been through this kind of temptation before, and it did not harm their faith. Thus, the author can confidently remind them that, Having gone through persecution and temptation in the past, they have every capability of going through their current troubles with that same strength. Verses 35 through 38 read, Therefore, do not throw away your confidence which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. 
but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Since the congregation has been through similar circumstances, they are exhorted to stay the course as they had in the past. Like all believers, they have a need for endurance in order to finish the journey and receive the promised reward. But that leads to a serious question. If the reward is promised, how can receiving it depend on us? Can human works nullify or confirm that which God has determined? Of course, the answer lay in the nature of faith, as the author will expound upon in the 11th chapter. But for now, let Christ's word in John 6 verse 29 provide the explanation. Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Faith is rightly understood as a gift, but it is an active gift given to us, one which we are to exercise, preserve, and protect. We receive God's promises by faith, and retaining that faith is a matter of endurance. Faith is given and salvation is free, but the exercise of faith is a blessed endeavor which has rewards. Verses 37 and 38 are enigmatic, though, in that there is no single particular verse that is quoted. It appears that the author is using the Septuagint translation of the Old Testament to paraphrase and combine Isaiah 26 verse 20 and Habakkuk 2 verses 3 and 4. Here is how each of these verses reads according to the Brenton translation of the LXX. Isaiah 26 verse 20 says, Go, my people, enter into thy closets, shut thy door, hide thyself for a little season, until the anger of the Lord have passed away. Habakkuk 2 verses 3 and 4 reads, For the vision is yet for a time, and it shall shoot forth at the end, and not in vain. Though he should tarry, wait for him, for he will surely come and will not tarry. If he should draw back, my soul has no pleasure in him, but the just shall live by my faith. For comparison, here is Hebrews 10 verses 37 and 38 once more. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Though it may be tempting to think so, this is not a misquote on the part of the author, and nor is it him attempting to modify the witness of Scripture. He does not say it is written as if to quote a prophet, and there is no language which would lean in that direction. He simply says, for, and then brings together a paraphrase of what these verses say. In other words, his exhortation to hold on and remain faithful to God in spite of circumstances is well founded in the commands given to believers in the past. The paraphrase serves as a reminder of this and a transitional verse going into the 11th chapter, which is all about faith. Verse 39 reads, But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. 
Verse 39 resolves much of the mental tension we Protestants may have regarding this passage as a whole. Thus far, the author has spent the third part of the exhortation encouraging the congregation by pointing at their own previous accomplishments, referring to rewards promised for their endurance, and making references to scripture, which show a theology of effort on the part of the believers since Old Testament times. For one raised in a monergistic denomination and holding to sola fide, this passage might worry us through a seeming advocacy of works. There is no need to worry, as the passage does advocate for works, just not in the salvific sense. We are saved by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone, and St. Paul attests that none of these are by our own works, but as a gift. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. The author of Hebrews is in agreement here. In verse 39, he says we have faith, or more properly are of faith, not that we attain to faith. Faith is not our responsibility to hear or not hear, as the entirety of salvation is attributed to God alone. However, while salvation is monergistic, sanctification is synergistic. We cooperate with the Holy Spirit to bring forward the good works for which we were created in Christ, Ephesians 2 verse 10. Thus, while we have faith because it is granted to us by the Holy Spirit working through the means of grace, we do, with faith, preserve our souls. Is that to say that the preservation of the saints is entirely dependent on the activities of believers? Of course not, as otherwise we would be in dire straits. Thankfully, the bulk of sanctification is done by God to make the individual believer holy. However, we do play a part, however small. Only we must recognize that to us, it will not feel small. The author uses language which points to our endurance and efforts in preserving our souls as a matter of degree. Though, in the grand scheme of it, the Lord does 99.999% of the work in sanctifying us and preserving our faith, to us, that last 0.001% of our part in sanctification will and ought to feel like a lifetime of dedication. Thus, our salvation is free, but our sanctification requires us to be active. Those who would say this is not the case, looking for some way for total freedom from the believer's cooperation in these matters, wish for the Christian to lose all personhood. We reject those who would claim we are but spiritual automata, or even worse, that we should hope to be so. Christ died to save people, not objects imbued with awareness. But with that comes a call to devotion and Christian practice, even endurance. And though some may be uncomfortable with the pietism that this entails, we must answer this call to the best of our ability. Next week, we will be covering the nature of faith as we begin the deepest chapter in all of Hebrews. Until then, our Lord bless you and keep you. Amen and amen.